All right, that was the that was a thumbs up. Um, let me go ahead and, and just read this, uh, read the script. Welcome to the Parks and Recreation Advisory Board meeting. It is Monday, July 12th. My name is Penny Holler. I'll be facilitating the Zoom video portion of this meeting. I'm joined here by Director Derek Rogers and additional Parks and Rec staff via Zoom. This meeting is being recorded and broadcast on the city's YouTube channel. During the meeting, please mute yourself by clicking on the microphone icon found in the lower left-hand side of the Zoom menu. This is also where you can turn your camera on and off. For purposes of this public meeting, if you're speaking, please keep your video on. For general public comment, Chair Bart Littlejohn will call you by name to speak. Each participant has three minutes for public comment. After public comment is over, you are welcome to stay on the call if you would like. For comments on agenda items, Chair Littlejohn will call you by name after the staff presentation. Each participant has three minutes for public comment and board members will then continue their discussion. Also a reminder to please state your name and title each time you speak. And if a vote is necessary, the chair will capture votes from each advisory board member separately by roll call vote. With that, I'd like to turn the meeting over to Chair Bart Littlejohn. Thank you all for coming. Um, chair Bart Littlejohn, Parks and Rec Advisory Board. Uh, I'd like to call this meeting to order. Um, looks like uh, first on our agenda is are the meeting minutes from the June 14th meeting. If you haven't had an opportunity to go ahead and review those minutes, if you could do so now. Thank you. All right. If there's no opposition, I would entertain a motion to go ahead and approve the minutes if someone would. Ms. Pat Phillips, advisory board member, um, I make a motion to approve the minutes. I'll second. Okay. Got a second. So, all right, uh, I, I think that was Amber and uh, who, who else was there? Pat? Pat? Yes. Okay, I, I couldn't quite hear you, Pat. Is that better? A little bit. Well, uh, looks like we have a motion out there by Amber to go ahead and approve seconded by Pat. Uh, I think Pat's still working on her sound a little bit. 
Uh, if uh, is there any discussion or any comment regarding the minutes? Seeing there is none, all those in favor of approving the minutes as stated, please say aye or raise your hand. Any opposed? Seeing none, the minutes are approved. Thank you, guys. All right, uh, moving us on, our next agenda item is public comment. And Penny said that we have a one person for general comment or... We've actually had folks join us during this meeting. Okay. Um, so it looks like we have um, three who wish to provide a public comment and one that has provided a comment um, in the chat. Um, it'd be helpful to know if, if it's general public comment or if they are, if we need to have that during agenda items. Okay. So if they could uh, kind of unmute and let us know. Uh, yes. Uh, like Penny said, if uh, does anyone want to comment during this period or were, was there, were there comments attributed to one of our agenda items? I have a general public comment, if I may. Okay. Uh, if you could go ahead and just state your name before you do so. Thank you. And you have three minutes for uh, general comments. Sure. Uh, thank you very much. My name is Harrison Rosenthal and I represent the Board of Directors of the Lawrence Masters Swim Club. We kindly request that this advisory board uh, solicit a report from the pool staff as to lane rental fees and how they were set. From 1993 to about the early 2000s, the Parks and Recreation Department did not charge our club uh, to use lanes for swim workouts. In the early 2000s, the department instituted a flat fee of $60 per workout. And in 2017, the department began charging all swim clubs $7.75 per lane per hour for using either the indoor or the outdoor pools. So our club typically reserves eight lanes and this totaled the same $60 per workout. But this changed in 2018 when the department began charging different rates for indoor and outdoor pool reservations. So it kept the rate of $7.75 per hour per lane for the indoor pool, but doubled the rate to $15.50 for the outdoor pool. And the justification that was communicated to Lawrence Masters was that the outdoor pool lanes are twice as long as the indoor pool lanes, and therefore the price should be twice as much. Um, this caused our club really severe financial hardship and general conversations with the Parks and Recreation staff had not been productive. We understand full well that the Aquatics Division incurs the highest overhead cost of all Parks and Recreation facilities in the city. And you know we have no objection whatsoever to paying a rental fee to reserve lanes for exclusive use. However, we think that charging double for the outdoor pool lanes is a little bit unreasonable and should be changed. So with that as background, we have three very simple requests Number one, we would like this advisory board to solicit a report from the pool staff regarding the fee schedule for the aquatics facility rentals, explaining how the fees were established. Uh, number two, we would like this board to discuss the fairness and reasonableness of the fee structure in comparison to the rental fees across all parks and recreation facilities. And number three, 
uh, we would like you to recommend that the rental fees be reduced to a flat rate or at least reduced so that the charge for a lane at the outdoor pool is the same as a charge for the lane um, at the indoor pool. Thank you very much and I'm happy to answer any questions. Thank you, Harrison, for your comments. Um, let's see. Hey, Penny, uh, do we, are we taking, are we hearing all the comments at once or retort after each comment? Generally, what we would do is we would um, hear everyone's public comments. This is the time for general public comment. Okay. Um, does anybody have, all right. Bart? Yeah, sorry about that. John, go ahead. This is John Blazik, an advisor board member. Harrison, let me make sure I heard it right. So you must be, the indoor must be a 25 meter lane and the outdoor must be a 50 meter lane? Yes, sir, that's correct. Okay, thank you. Or I should say 25 yards and 50 meters, but. But that's about the exact same. Right. Okay, thank you. Does anyone else have any uh, questions for Harrison while we have him here? Jackie? Hi, Jackie Becker. Uh, question, do you then, and the outdoor pool, since it is double, do you use half the amount of lanes or do you still try to reserve the whole pool since I know you can only get eight lanes in the 50 meter pool? Right, so just ba Jackie, based on pure economic feasibility, we have not been able to do that in combination with the fact that um, there are other teams uh, who are also looking for pool times. The difference is um, when we are there and we're, when we're the only club that is there, even if the rest of the pool is completely empty, we have to maintain our four lanes or else we'll be charged for four extra lanes. And where we're coming from is, you know, it, it's the same operating cost to have a lifeguard guard the entire pool versus have a lifeguard guard four lanes. Um, and we would like to spread out. <laughs> and uh, I'm sorry, uh, Bart Littlejohn, Chair, Parks and Rec Advisory Board. Uh, and Harrison, you said that the uh, changes were instituted after 2018, is that correct? That's correct, Bart, yeah. So before 2018, um, or it might've been late 2017, we, played a, we paid a, fat, a flat fee um, for all of the lanes we wanted to use. And th this was very simple. We could anticipate what our monthly expenditures would be. Um, if people were out of town, we, we didn't have to worry about membership dropping off or anything like that. Um, but with the per hour per lane fee structure in combination with decreased membership. So recently, um, I guess after the pools reopened after the pandemic, um, the operating time was pushed back to 6.30 p.m. That's when the pool opened. And most of our members, probably at least half, uh, just can't make that time. They have to get to work. Uh, so because of that, um, we're operating on a reduced budget as it is. But yes, it was 2017-2018 it was where that changed. John? John Blanton? I'm uh, sorry, John John, El John Albandian, a board member. Um, does anybody have any objection to asking staff to uh, go ahead and prepare 
I don't want to. I don't want a, a big report. Just a brief report on um, how these uh, how these user fees are uh, are established. Is that all right with everybody? Hey, Holler Ranch analyst. Um, since we're in in general public comment, um, yeah, staff would love to um, you know make sure we're capturing this and certainly um, want to reach back out to this group. You know, whenever there's questions or or concerns. Um, certainly the, the board can, can recommend or suggest um, that uh, staff do that outreach and um, review the fees. So that would probably be um, uh, probably the uh, potential action for you to consider. Okay. And would that be something that we just would need to take a vote on, Penny? Yeah. So I just I want to make sure we're, we're following proper meeting decorum. This is the three minutes for general public comment. Um, obviously, these are not items on the agenda, so staff isn't necessarily uh, prepared to provide a direct uh, response on some of the questions raised. It's potentially the most appropriate for us to do that outreach, um, ask those questions, and then when we have items we want to bring back to the board for uh, budget questions or policy decisions um, or just an update on the status of the concern, we can bring that back to the board. Okay. Well, what I'm hearing is a lot of interest in uh, seeing uh, what uh, staff would have, would have to say about this. So if you could go ahead and do so, that would be appreciated. Parks Recreation will do that. Okay. Thank you, guys. Um, all right. Uh, and uh, what to guess, uh, who do we have next for public comments, uh, Penny? Um, we have two other um, folks who have joined us. I have a third with a comment via chat, so it might make sense to save that till the end of general public comment when I can read um, that to the board. Okay. So I have, I have a, a Mark Beckert and I have a Sophia uh, Galarza Lou. If you can let us know if you would like to speak on general public comment or if you wanna speak on agenda items. I'd like to do just a uh, public comment. Okay, go go ahead, Mark, if you would. Like okay. I said before, three minutes uh, for your general public comment. Okay, I'm Mark Beggard. I'm the treasurer of the Masters Swim Club. And Harrison did a good job of uh, sending you all a letter uh, with our concerns. And what I wanted to do is just sort of pull it all together and tell you um, our little story I was around in 1993 when there were a lot of swimming enthusiasts that uh, met at the public library and the KU swim coach, Gary Kempf was there and he was helping us organize um, a master's swim group and he was going to lend us um, coaches um, from his, his staff to help us get started. And at that time, we opened around five o'clock and we were trusted to open the pool, close the gate, swim and lock it back up. And it was all at no charge. Uh, the master swimmers group, you know, were doctors, nurses, psychologists, firefighters, FBI, police, uh, teachers, engineers, students. Uh, there were professional athletes. Um, and it was a fun group and we were competitive and 
we would get there and pull out lane lines, put in lane lines and flags. There were no lights because the neighborhood uh, didn't want any lights on the pool waking them up that early in the morning. And we would get in and we'd scoop out frogs, we'd scoop out bugs, leaves, chase away, chase away a few uh, nude swimmers and drunks. We'd rescue um, some of the lifeguard stands that were pushed into the uh, pool. We'd call the police if we saw a broken glass of someone that tried to get into the office, maybe looking for money. And the lane lines, the 50 meter lane lines, they were actually too short to fit the design of the pool. So we bought chains so that we could extend the lines and fit them. And there are eye bolts that uh, these chains fit on. And sometimes swimmers would, uh, the, the public kids would take them. And so masters went out and bought like 15 eye bolts just so that we could permanently put them in the wall and, and um, make sure that we can fasten the lane lines. So now imagine, imagine paying to do all that and imagine how we feel when we walk into the indoor pool and everything's ready to go and it's half the price. So that's my comment. Thank you, Mark. Appreciate that. Um, does anyone else have general public comments uh, that they would like? Sophia? I think I'm the last please. one. Thank you. Thank you. Bart. My name is Sophia Galarza Liu, and I am a board member at large of the Lawrence Master Swim Club. And I just wanted to use my time to thank the Parks and Recreation Advisory Board in advance for requesting a review of the rental fee structure for the use of the indoor and outdoor pools. Thank you for your time. Uh, Jackie, did you have comment on that? Yeah, I just had another question. Well, first off, I want to say I'm a U.S. master swimmer myself, but I cannot get up in the mornings because I work late at night. So I train by myself when I can. I did want to know uh, on the parks and rec side of things, uh, do they allow for a limited number of lifeguards when, uh, say, the uh, quad A aquatics practice, when at Astro practices? different than U.S. Masters? Is there a certain number of lifeguards that are required for when the clubs practice versus when U.S. Masters practice? Derek Rogers, Director of Parks Recreation. As far as I know, there's no difference. I'll have to get back with you on that. So we were looking at some other options this summer with the shortage of lifeguards. Can we just make sure that's in the report then too, how many lifeguards are for U.S. Masters versus for the club? Yep. Thank you, Jackie. Does anyone have any comments on uh, general public comment there? From the board, I mean, I'm sorry. Okay, seeing none, uh, go ahead and uh, and uh, Penny, you said the we're going to save the text public comment till the end. Or right now. analysts. So um, I sent out the information that I received mm -hmm. from JT Thornburg in the comment, and I'm also going to read it just so we can capture it 
um, on the record. Um, Last month, I asked why are there no bicycle racks at Hobbs? Subsequently, I learned that there is a single three-bike wave rack at Hobbs. In daylight, that rack is visible. At night, it is not. That is why I didn't find it and also why I will never use it. I recently had my eighth bike theft, the last three of these thefts in just the past 14 months. That theft was prompted, was probably reported, and I personally spotted the stolen bike downtown at the 11th Street Community Building. Police arrived promptly, apprehended the suspect, and I have the bike again. I urge the LPRD to provide adequate quantity and quality bike parking to Hobbs Park. Now, please. Car parking there is very poor, and bicycling ought to be an alternative. The loop will have little to do with the stadium except to bring more bikes. Car parking is not called an amenity. Why should bike parking? Thank you, JT. Okay, thank you for that uh, public comment, JT. Do, does uh, the Parks and Rec Advisory Board have any comments on that? Uh, this is Marilyn Hull, board member. When JT brought this up a month or two ago, I think Mark said that he was going to check into it. Mark, what, what were your findings and actions? Mark Hecker, Assistant Director of Parks and Rec. We actually added the bike rack he's talking about by the stadium. So we had it in stock and we're able to install it within a day or two of our meeting. Is that the wave rack that he was referring to? Correct. And, and do you concur with his opinion that it's inadequate for the site? I honestly, I feel like we don't have a lot of bikes parked there, but I don't know what adequate is, I guess. We had zero, now we have one, and we're not seeing a full all the time, so. Uh, this is Bart Littlejohn, Chair, Parks and Rec. Mark, is there any way we could, like, at least, at the very least, paint it with, like, something that could be visible at night so that people could notice it? Because I think that was mainly JT's point of contention was that it wasn't uh, very visible at night. We can certainly look at the how what it looks like at night. Maybe we need to put a light on the back of the building or something. Art, this is John Blazik, advisory board member. Uh, Penny, I got a little confused. He's had eight bikes stolen. They've all been stolen from that rec center. So I'm merely reading what was posted um, in the chat. But what I was reading said, I recently had my eighth bike theft. The last three of these thefts in just the past 14 months. And that could have been from his home, though, or the rec center or wherever. That's all the information that I have. Um, if, if JT is willing, he could submit further information in the chat. Um, but that's what I have right now. Okay. Thank you, Penny. Uh, Derek Rogers, director for Parks and Recreation. He had uh, text. All bikes stolen in or near the downtown area or downtown. Um, I will also add, Mark and I, after the request came in, uh, we're looking at the Hobbs Park area, and I'm an avid cyclist too, and I like bike parking. It's just trying to find a good location. How do you put a good size rack over there? And that was one of the challenging things we noticed when we were doing that. And 
the location uh, made a lot of sense for where that bike rack went. This is Val Renault, board member. Um, Derek, did he say whether the bikes were locked when they were stolen? He didn't say so. <laughs> That's I'm Derek Rogers, Director of Parks Recreation. He's typing right now. Okay. And uh, all bikes were locked, and the location where the bike rack is located does not work. So we'll take another look. I wonder if there's a, is there some sort of industry standard for bike racks that prevents theft, or is this just something we have to live with forever? The foreseeable future. <laughs> Mark Hecker, system director, the rack that's installed is, is considered a viable bike rack. So we have the inverted U racks, we have the wave racks, we have the, the old ones where you stick your tire in the front. We don't really like those anymore. So, yeah, if they get used, they're a great amenity. If they're not used, they're just kind of a nuisance, to be honest with you. So you always like to have enough, but not too many. Roger, Director of Parks and Recreation. I would think uh, if I was playing a game at the stadium, I'd like to be able to see my bike in a bike rack while I'm out kicking a ball or doing whatever. Uh, maybe we could try some different locations and not fasten something down. We'll take a look at how we can uh, try and improve it. And I'd be curious to see how many bike bicyclists do want to use an amenity like that out there. So. Mark? Jack Jackie, I, I think you had your hand up first. Yeah, I did. I mean, it, it's definitely in a very dark spot and you definitely can't see it if you're in the stands or if you're playing on the field through either of the dugouts. So I would agree if we can either find some lighting or paint it bright yellow, that could be a temporary solution. But otherwise, if you could find a, another space for it, that might be better. I don't know if there's a way that it could be put in the grass, maybe by the bus stop there or out by the sign or by the bathrooms or something. I mean, there, there might be another option. Um, that might be make it more visible, so less chance for theft, perhaps. Uh, John Blazik, if you would. Bart, John Blazik, advisory board member. Um, I'm 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 like Jackie. I'm always trying to maybe if we can find something better, but I'm also concerned about the vagueness of the 14 bikes or the eight bikes. I don't want this to come out and make it look like everything's been stolen to rec centers and it's a recreation first fault. That could be an issue with the city of Lawrence. I mean, if we're having bikes, maybe JT needs to look at a better lockup system. But just to bring this out, it does concern me the vagueness of trying to blame the recreation program. Maybe Mark can find a better place, Derek, to move the bike rack. But let's let's keep this on the table of what's best for the rec center and not blame everything on bikes at the rec center. Derek Rogers, Director of Parks and Recreation. Reading uh, JT's chats, he's not in any way blaming the rec center. But um, it just, I think, a lot of stolen bikes in Lawrence, um, more so than I'd like to admit. Um, I, you could read the police scanners, they're finding them all over the place. It's, um, and I, I trust that they're locked and anymore with some of these electronic devices um, that I don't think about. It used to be you think about bolt cutters and other things. And now they've got the cordless devices and I'm going, wow, technology is really taking us to a new level of how, how do you protect your bicycle?
part Little John Chair, Parks and Rec Advisory Board. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I definitely think what you said earlier, Derek, uh, at least, and, and Jackie as well, at least painting it for a short term solution um, just to make it brighter and more visible, and then figuring out a longer term solution of making sure that um, it is visible at night if you could. I think that would be appreciated. Uh, does anyone else have any public comment uh, on this uh, this item? I'm sorry, any a comment from the uh, board on this item? All right, I'm not seeing any. Um, thank you, JT, for bringing this to our attention again. I uh, appreciate it. All righty, uh, I'll go ahead and move us on to our next agenda item. Uh, looks, looks like uh, we have the strategic plan update. Penny, if you would. Penny Holler, Management Analyst. Let me go ahead and try to share my screen. All right, if you figured out by now, if I have a presentation, we're gonna have a brief PowerPoint. Um, this is also just so everyone um, watching this and, and participating can be on the same page or if anyone catches up later. So the strategic plan update. Um, let's talk about the strategic plan. So for some of, from some of you, this might be um, information you already know. For some of you, this might be new. Um, but I can't stress enough, it's a really big deal. So I think it's really great to get the Parks and Rec Advisory Board um, with kind of a basic understanding of what this is, what it means, and um, how it, it's going to affect the way that we do a business as a city. So um, this is the city's plan. This is not just the Parks and Recreation plan. Um, this is the culmination of um, a heavy amount of community outreach, uh, a lot of community feedback, and professional facilitation. Uh, the strategic plan in its most basic form was approved by the city commission in October of 2020. And this past Tuesday, the city commission um, just reviewed some updates and those were uh, more recently received, which uh, just adds more detail to the strategic plan. Uh, for those who would like to look further into the document, uh, here's the website. Um, it's on the city's website. Um, and I really can't, um, can't stress the importance enough of the strategic plan. Um, so as our city manager, Craig Owens, has said, it's not a plan, it's the plan. And it's focused around the vision that as a city, we create a community where all enjoy life and feel at home. And what's in the strategic plan guides all of our city activity. It guides how we conduct that activity. It sets measurements to track our progress. And uh, this is where I would sort of put asterisks. Um, our budgets as departments will align those resources with the strategic plan. So in essence, if you look on the agenda and you see what's coming up next, this is um, discussion of the strategic plan should help us have a better discussion um, on, on budget items. 
So here's the highlights. And again, we could spend several hours going through the strategic plan, uh, but it's really important for me that we're all on the same page as far as the highlights. So the city strategic plan includes six commitments, which are how we work. Um, there's a little detail in the paragraphs, but I'm just going to um, sort of hit the highlights. It covers community engagement. And again, this is how we're doing the things that we do, community engagement. We're going to focus on efficient and effective processes. We're going to make sure we're looking at equity and inclusion. We're going to do this through sound fiscal stewardship. We're going to work through engaged and empowered teams. And we're going to make sure we're looking at environmental sustainability. So um, if that sort of paints the picture of that defines the, the how we are going to be um, working, how we're going to be doing business as a city. And then the five outcomes really identify what we do. So what is the city and the business to do? It is these items here. It is the unmistakable identity. It's the strong, welcoming neighborhoods. It's the safe and secure. It's the prosperity and economic security. And it's the connected city. So I know for, for many of us, this might be uh, new vocabulary, new terms. But the goal is we become familiar with what these are and what they mean. Because this is how, um, as a city, we're going to be speaking to uh, programs and services and budgets and prioritization. And this is really the, the key item that I just want to um, set the, the expectation on for the Parks and Rec Advisory Board is that of the five outcome areas, while Parks and Rec certainly supports connected city um, and supports economic security and supports strong welcoming neighborhoods, our, our primary emphasis, which means most of our budget, is going toward the unmistakable identity outcome area. And I'm just going to read that real quick because I think it's important. Um, the unmistakable identity outcome area says that Lawrence is a welcoming community synonymous with arts, diverse culture, fun, and a quintessential downtown. City parks and community events contribute to the vibrancy experienced by all people in Lawrence. So when we talk about parks and recreation as a traditional department, we're really talking about this outcome area of unmistakable identity. So often as staff, you're going to start to hear us um, refer to ourselves as covering the unmistakable identity outcome. And again, that's not that we don't support the other areas, but this really is the primary area. As an example, uh, the fire department most supports uh, safe and secure. That's probably their area of focus, not that they don't contribute to the other um, outcome areas. And then I'm just going to touch on this because there's a lot that we could delve into, but for today, I just want to keep it pretty high level. Um, the strategic plan does include strategies and key performance indicators. So these are the metrics for um, measurements of how we're doing. Are we achieving our outcomes? Are we achieving what we would like? Um, those are structured by the commitment areas. You recall those are things like community engagement, environmental sustainability, equity inclusion. And the city is really working to identify what is the right fit. Uh, so for example, um, one of the measurements 
is measuring the number of trees planted, removed, and maintained to create a healthy tree canopy. That's uh, in the unmistakable identity as part of the commitment to environmental sustainability. And that raises some great questions. What is the right number of trees planted, removed, and maintained to, heat, uh, to create a healthy tree canopy? Um, and then what's the, what is the amount of resources that should go into that compared to the other items included in the strategic plan. So again, as we're looking at um, making recommendations to the city commission, which the advisory board and staff does, um, this is the language that they are, are using um, when they review items. This is what the community is expecting um, that we're all working on. Um, so it's helpful to start to understand um, how that's structured. So I know that's really high level. Um, for some of you, um, you can probably repeat the commitment areas in your sleep. Um, for others, this is a little new and that's okay. Um, this is probably the first um, in a series of several um, discussions and review of what's in the city strategic plan. Um, because you recall, this is not a plan, this is the plan. So this really is the focus. Um, as you'll hear next, when we look at um, how we budget as a city, this is going to be how we're um, how how the city is reviewing making those uh, prioritizations. So I want to um, go ahead and open it up for questions, discussions on the strategic plan. Um, and again, just um, keep in mind that some people are very familiar with this. Those who've been a little more involved and followed the city commission and provided community feedback, and not everyone may be um, as familiar with uh, the strategic plan. So um, with that, I'd like to open it up for advisory board member questions or discussion. This is Marilyn Hull, board member. How does this interface with or affect the department's master plan? I'm Derek Rogers, Director of Parks and Recreation. I see it as there are two separate pieces of data. This is where we're wanting to go. Master plan is or the, the cookbook, the recipe, the things that a lot of work went into. This was more a lot of different type of work on the strategies to address the outcome areas. So the unmistakable identity, we put a lot of time into it. We took quite a journey on where we want to go. Um, as a department and what the community, we also took input from outside agencies, Lawrence Arts Center, uh, Watkins Museum, Theater Lawrence, uh, other community members and organizations since unmistakable identity ties more than just to Parks and Rec. It's uh, events that are in the city. How do we maintain the downtown as uh, uh, its uniqueness, its quincentennial, um, quincy, I'll mispronounce it. It's uniqueness is a downtown way of working here. Both are necessary. Um, and that was going to be one of the questions I have for the board. Uh, do we want to have some discussions on the city strategic plan and adopt it for parks and recreation? Or do we want to drill down and put a lot of time into a strategic plan for parks and recreation that is based on the city plan? So... Um, as part of the accreditation process, we need to have both. Our master plan is still current. Our strategic plan, we could adopt the city 
plan. I don't, I don't think I answered as well as what you wanted. The meat and potatoes of the strategic plan is you develop strategies to address the outcome, a mistakeable identity, and then you figure out what you want to measure, and then you figure out the data points that would go into it. So one of the measurements is how satisfied are people with Parks and Recreation in North Kansas? So we have the ETC survey that comes out. I don't think we did one last year. I can't remember when the last one was. And I think overall we were at 84%. National average was 59%. Kansas City metro area was at 75%. And then you look at other areas of that, whether it be environmental sustainability, is it street events, is it diversity, is it my culture is celebrated in Lawrence. How do we change that uh, key indicator? What's our strategy and what's our plan to move it? So um, the measurements can be moved either way. It's, it's more diagnostic of what you're doing in parks and recreation and the impact on the community. I don't know. <laughs> If that helped you or not, Marilyn, I probably missed. Uh, that wasn't 100% clear to me. Um, I guess what I'm wondering is, will this prompt um, a review of the master plan or a reprioritization of items in the master plan? Characterizes direction parks recreation. I don't think so. I think they're both um, both very relevant, and I see the strategic plan being more vision driven. But we've already got the needs that are out there, and, and how we go about some of this. Actually, I see the strategic plan uh, maybe taking us a little further down that road. Of you know, what are we trying to do? You know, some of the things that are not, it's kind of addressed in the master plan besides um, community issues, health and wellness, social equity, environmental education. The one thing that our department's been lacking is uh, we need more technology and data-driven decisions. Um, you're not going to really find our data-driven decisions in the, the master plan. Uh, Bart Littlejohn, Chair, Parks and Rec Advisory Board. So I'm clear in hearing uh, in, in what Marilyn is, uh, her question is alluding to. So the, the I'm just trying to make sure I'm clear. Um, the strategic plan is visioning. The master plan is actual execution. Is that what you're, what you're trying to get to? In a way, but here's where the city's going with the strategic plan. Our strategic plan should tie to our dollars, every dollar we get in our department should be tied to the strategic plan. And how are we meeting those goals, those outcomes of unmistakable identity? So we've got goals, obviously, in the master plan and what we're trying to do. At some point, do you say what we've been doing that's been historical really doesn't tie to what the community wants? And so we need to do more of something the community wants, maybe less of something that isn't as necessary or wanted anymore. So it's kind of priority-based budgeting based on the strategic plan is where the city's going. 
So that's different than the master plan if you want to look at funding. Okay. Um, and just an additional question, Bart Little, John Chair, Parks and Rec, Parks and Rec Advisory Board. Um, are there some crossover or meeting points of both that we can start from? So we don't have to necessarily scrap the entire thing. Scrap what? Nope. <laughs> the master plan. No, you, you have to have both. You have yeah. to have a master plan and you... No, no, I, I, I'm not saying scrap the master plan, like have no master plan, but the current iteration of it, you know, like, so like, you know, someplace to start from so we can re-evolve the new master plan. Right, and our master plan is four years old now. I believe I think it was approved in 17. And so we still got some time on our master plan. Revisions and updating the master plan, I think, would be good. Um, I'll ask Mark to jump in the, if I've missed anything. Uh, this is John Nalbandian, a board member. You know, Derek, uh, this conversation, um, maybe maybe if if you if staff could prepare a kind of decision tree uh, that that just sort of shows the relationship among these different uh, documents or initiatives uh, so that we know you know how the one is supposed to relate to it to another um, I'm just thinking out loud here but uh, I'm wondering if something visual um, might help us. Hey, Bart, oh, I'm sorry, Bart Little John Chair. Uh, thank you for the assist, John. You were very. You said it much more eloquent, eloquently than I did. So, Penny Hall, management analyst, and um, I think it's also um, just important to remember this is kind of the foundation for um, how the city is going to do all of its work. So we can really look to these six commitment areas. Um, and you can expect that, you know, if we're going to create a master plan, we're going to, you know, make sure we have community engagement. We're going to look at, um, you know, efficient and effective processes as part of that. We're going to look at equity and inclusion. So I think you can expect um, in, in many of the things that we do to see um, reflections of those six commitments. And um, maybe that wasn't um, spelled out uh, as, as clearly um, in, in a previous city strategic plan, but um, these are, are really the six areas of, of how we're going to do things. So you'll see as we approach it, likely use of engaged and empowered teams as an example. Uh, this is John Nalbandian, board member again. So in a way, these six commitments to me can be looked at as a values lens that we can we can we can subject various decisions or documents or initiatives or whatever, we can pass them through these six commitments and maybe it gives us a little better idea of the value, uh, the value that, uh, that our initiatives can, can add. Penny Hall, our management analyst, and I think too, once we get further into this, so you're really seeing the top layer here today. Underneath this, we have strategies and measurements of how well we're doing. And I think it's also helpful to see that because that provides a little more explanation for what we mean when we say um, Parks and Recreation is supporting Lawrence's unmistakable identity. You know, what does that mean? Um, so maybe that's something that we can um, look to cover next month. I think that would be informative as well. 
Derek Rogers, Director of Parks and Recreation. On our, uh, if you look at the capital improvement program, the CIP list, you also see that we have tried to tie what um, outcomes and commitments under unmistakable identity tied to each capital improvement project. So the Rose uh, Creek splash pad was one of them and tied to you know, safe and welcoming neighborhoods, uh, sustainability with the energy. So we were tying strategic plan items to our master plan item, which was we want splash pads in Lawrence, Kansas. And so every project going forward, again, it, it goes back to the capital dollars, whether it be for any initiative, are we spending them and are they meeting the strategic plan? Penny Hall, our management analyst. So you'll see every item going to the city commission has to list which of these items that that is supporting. So whether we're purchasing a a tractor um, or whether we're putting in a CIP project, we're looking at how it relates to one or, or multiple of these. If I could jump in here to Mark Hecker, assistant director. I think what Marilyn's referencing is actually correct. So we'll have to take the master plan as it exists. It's a five-year-old document coming up in 2022. I think we need to run it through the filter and look at through these lenses and make sure everything that's in the master plan is hidden the current strategic plan. Because even some of the things we were talking about in the old strategic plan, they aren't quite the same as this new strategic plan. So I think as you look through the master plan and think of things that aren't done yet that we want to try to do, do they hit these five points? And if they don't, then maybe they fall a little further down the list of things we want to try to accomplish. Or if there's things that are missing in the master plan, that's when we start talking about revising the plan. You know, if you get five years into a plan, we're doing pretty good. And and quite honestly, we've done really well on on just step-by-step through that master plan. So we're pretty close to needing a revision. It was a 10-year master plan when we did it. And, uh, you know, I, it's if you really look at it, we've accomplished a great number of things in that plan. So looking through these filters, we may identify things that aren't quite in there the way we want them going for the next five years. Marilyn? Thank you, that Mark. That was very helpful. Mark, this is John Blasek, advisory board member. That was a good job, Mark. I really like Penny and Mark and Derek. Uh, this is a pretty impressive um, strategic plan. I lived in it for 33 years with schools between master plans and strategic. And it kind of just comes back for all of us in layman's terms. It forces the people that are making decisions to look through and what's being met, not individual likes and wants for people making the decisions. I think this is really in-depth, Penny. This is impressive. So thank you. If you and Mark and Derek were all doing it, this is going to be good for the community and for the taxpayers. Thank you. Penny Hall, Management Analyst. I mean, this, this really was a community effort. So there was a lot of outreach done. Um, all of us on staff, a lot of us participated in gaining feedback from individuals, organizations, um, because we wanted this to really reflect the city um, and reflect what was kind of uniquely Lawrence and what, you know, what do we find to be um, the vision? What do we find to be um, the items that we're trying to accomplish? So um, I don't think we can take much credit 
Um, but I think we are, we're very excited about what the strategic plan is and what it means. Um, it's great that we now have this guiding document um, that will help us better look at exactly what, what are we doing and what are we trying to accomplish and let's measure how well we're doing in accomplishing those goals. So that's hopefully what this guides us toward. All right. Does anybody else have any additional comment on this item? Not hearing any. Okay. I'll go ahead and uh, move us on to the budget update. Derek Rogers, uh, Director of Parks and Recreation. I'll open up with uh, about a 30,000-foot level and then let Mark uh, dive in. Um, the budget this year, I, I think, is going to be very interesting. And if you have time, I would uh, encourage everyone to watch the City Commission meeting tomorrow night as it gets presented to the City Manager's budget. Uh, the budget, I fully support. And it, as a department director, I, I support it. I think it does a lot of things that um, with intention, and that was putting people and infrastructure at the priority of the budget. We did a 2017 comprehensive um, analysis of our employees' uh, pay system and pay. And what we did there, or what the survey said, was we've had many years of not keeping up with inflation and everything else. We're trying to get the pay for where it should be. This Budget proposal by the city manager focuses on the people and getting the compensation where it should be over the next two years. To do that, that takes a lot of capital. And in a flat budget year coming off poor revenues during the, the pandemic, um, that's a lot of commitment. So to meet the priority, um, taking care of the people, the people that service the community, um, we're going to see a flat budget for Parks and Recreation and all the departments across the board. You'll see some increases in the budget um, tied to um, compensation changes and uh, interfund transfers, but overall we're a flat budget. Um, but I, I think it's a good budget going forward and fully support it. Mark, it's all yours. Okay, let me share a screen here really quick. Are you seeing the CIP? No. The email um, that was the public comment from JT Thornburg. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad it was that email. <laughs> yeah, really. Get the shopping lists from my wife. How about now? CIP projects. Hey, that's what I wanted. Okay. okay, so just big picture here. The general fund budget's a $103 million budget. So we're part of that in our parks and recreation operating budget. Where we've landed with our budget is about 15.3 million for our operating. That's up a little bit from where we were before, but there's some a little bit of um, hidden things in that in that we put some internal service funds into our budget. The money will basically be put in and taken out. So that's something that we really can't do much about. The one thing I wanted to point out in the CIP, um, we were asked to cut $644,000 from our budget. So that was just operating budget anywhere we wanted. 
what we did is we went in and cut this project right here, which is the Holcomb Sports Complex infield project. So we had scheduled it to go to artificial turf on the infields at Holcomb. We figured instead of wandering through our operating budget and trying to figure out where to cut 644,000, it was easier to just cut one CIP project. So that project can come back later. It's nothing that you know we can't put off for a year or two. But the good news is we ended up with a little, little over $3 million of CIP projects in the current budget as is being proposed to the city commission and $15 million operating budget. So I was very happy where we ended up in, you know, as Derek said, it's a pretty tight budget year. I felt like we ended up in a pretty good spot without losing hardly anything that can't be recovered later. Uh, Bart Little John Chair, uh, Parson Rent Advisory Board. Uh, I saw the uh, the uh, fiber uh, on there as well. Would that be coming back as well? Yeah, that one's a hard one because it's, it mostly services our staff, so it doesn't point out well in in the scoring system for the CIP. So I think that one's maybe one we have to talk about doing in a different way, maybe being part of the program for citywide fiber and see if they can get it extended out to us. The problem, the problem with that particular one, it goes to our shop out by the U-Sports complex. There's just not a lot of other people out there to hook onto that. So you're really running a lot of fiber at a fairly high cost to service one city facility. Were there any, uh, any additional questions regarding the budget from uh, the board? Marilyn Hull, board member. Uh, Mark, I scanned that really quickly, but I don't think I saw anything budgeted for the Lawrence Loop. Is that correct? Let's put it back up. Are you seeing it? So we ah. Lawrence Loop here. Got it. Thank you. You betcha. This is the really fun stuff to get big picture stuff instead of little operating lines. Mark, this is Val Renault, board member. I have just kind of a little question about the East Lawrence Rec Center. There's been a leak in the ceiling for a couple of years and it may be difficult to find, but is that something you have to budget for or is that just in the regular maintenance funds, that kind of work? Um, I'm gonna answer yes and yes. So okay. that particular leak is under the HVAC's um, system that sits on that roof, and that's about a $140,000 piece of equipment. It needs to be replaced. So when that happens, it needs to go on the CIP list. But what the good news is, is we've worked with MSO, and they've got that piece of equipment scheduled to be replaced this summer. So the little roof leak is only kind of a little symptom of the bigger problem up top. So we hope to have both of them fixed by November, I would think. Bart, John Blazek. Um, Mark, compliments to you. I'm sure most people have figured out I'm pretty athletic driven at all levels, but I really compliment you when you, you know, I'm all for that artificial field, 
But I also use the Lawrence Loop. And I think if we break it down to the number of people that use the facilities, you made a wise decision of cutting the 750 out on the artificial turf to continue the growth with the Lawrence Loop. Because I kind of go back to who's using what the most and where's the money needs to be the first. I mean, that's what my mentality has always been in schools. And I think by cutting 750 to meet your budget was a smart move, but keeping it in for the Lawrence Loop, I think that's best for the community. Nice job, whoever made that decision. Thank you. All right. Does anybody else have any additional comment? Not seeing any. Uh, I would like to second what John said. Uh, great job with that, guys. Uh, looks like we were able to get most of it. And uh, like you said before, the stuff you weren't, it could come up again. So, um, all right. Moving us on to the next agenda item. Uh, looks like a 4th of July fireworks update. All right. Let's see how that went. Derek? Yeah, Derek Rogers, Parks Rec Director. Um, it went good. We had fireworks, and from a down at the where the river meets the road with the JCs, it was uneventful the way it should have been. People followed the directions of the signs, please keep out, caution area. Um, the lead was happy, uh, worked well with our partners. Um, we cleaned up after the fact, and I take it as a compliment that they said the roads after the event were probably in the parking lots cleaner than before. So that goes, says a lot for the city crews and our park staff for uh, following up. And so I was happy that it went off. Uh, some concerns, not concerns, but comments were the grand finale wasn't much of a grand finale and uh, communication between the fireworks and the lead and some of that would be something if we do it again, that would be needed. Um, they did have one, <clears throat> one of the shells burst on the ground and I don't know if that impacted them. I haven't talked to the JCs since the event, the, the, uh, just kind of follow up. We did do an, an after actions with the KU staff. And so that was good. But overall, I'm very happy. I think the community got to see something and um, it was a great celebration from what I saw. Bart Little John, Chair, Parks and Rec Advisory Board. How did the JCs like the setup as opposed to uh, down by the river? And Derek Rogers, Director of Parks and Recreation. The comment that I received was that was probably their safest uh, environment for shooting fireworks that they've ever experienced because they had so much room between them, the buildings. Um, I hate to jinx myself. I didn't even get any... Uh, uh, fan mail on noise, my dogs. Uh, there were some of the neighbors that had concerns, uh, one of the commercial businesses, and I didn't hear anything afterwards. And I think it was uneventful for them too. So. All right. Uh, does anybody have any, uh, I see a, a bunch of hand claps and a bunch of thumbs up. So, uh, I would uh, say you guys did a great job putting on a fireworks show. I think everybody enjoyed it and was happy for the chance to get outside and see uh, and celebrate Lawrence. So um, does anybody have any further comment from the board? All right. 
thank you guys again for all your hard work doing that. I know the town really appreciates it. All right, I'll move us on to our next agenda item, uh, concerns uh, from the board, our items of interest. Does anyone uh, have any? Uh, Bart, Bart John Blasek. Um, uh, hey, hey, John, hey, hey, John, could you uh, wait a second? I think Val was just a little bit before you. Val, if you could go ahead and go. Okay, this, uh, this is just an item of interest for all of you. Um, the Self-Advocate Coalition of Kansas is sponsoring a picnic to celebrate the 31st anniversary of the Americans with Disabilities Act on July 26th. Uh, well, actually, that's when it was passed, but the picnic is on July 24th, which is this, uh, which is a Saturday at Holcomb and from 10 to 2, and the Douglas County Health Department is offering COVID vaccines out there um, in addition to the food and games and other things that will be happening. So I just wanted to let you know, and I have a flyer which I can send if you're interested. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you, Val. Um, John, if you would, please. Yes, Bart. Um, when do we talk and what's the protocol of this, either Bart or Penny? When, do we discuss that swim issue at all in the next month or two? Uh, Penny, if you want to go ahead and take it. Penny Hall, management analyst. Can, can you be a little more specific about what, what you're looking for? I mean, from, from what I understand, this is the, this would be an item where the advisory board um, hears the public comment and can direct staff to, to do that outreach and, and work with the group on it. Because uh, it's, it's sometimes hard when you hear the, the one perspective um, on it with, um, without the staff getting the chance to really review that. Um, but if you can give me a little better understanding what um, what you might be, be looking for. I mean, it sounds like the items been brought to the attention of the board. So um, we just want to make sure that um, whatever, you know, fee schedule is in place, that it, it makes sense and it's fair. You're looking for sort of an, an update. Um, it sounds like um, Derek would like us to kind of do that um, review of, of the data. So for when it comes back. I just didn't know the protocol since they had some concerns. Are they looking for a response from the advisory board? Uh, do we wait until we get information? I just didn't know the protocol of when somebody calls and asks the advisory board to look at lowering prices, et cetera. I just didn't know what our responsibility is. Uh, Penny Hall, management analyst. So, I mean, these are, these are great items for um, members of the public to bring to the attention of the board and to staff. I think we always love... Um, Love. Love's a strong word. We, we appreciate hearing the concerns, right? Because we want to have a good system. We want to have a system that, that makes sense. Um, that said, it is a little tough because it's not an item that's on the agenda. There's no uh, proposal um, that we can get more feedback from the board on or take more pub public comment on. So that's where it's a, a little tough. You're hearing me kind of say, give us a little bit of time to look into this more um, and we'll make sure to keep you updated. If there's a fee or a policy decision or a thought process, that's where the board comes back in on that. Okay. Thank you. And I'd like to take one second and I don't know if this is the right place. I really want to compliment Bart Littlejohn. 
I think you do a great job with this committee. I want to be the first one to tell you I would do anything to help you run for the city commission. I think you would be great for this community. You listen well to people. You have a really good mind. Um, I think you always think well. You're very kind to people. And I'll be the first one to vote for you. And if I can ever give anything to help you, I think you would be a great city commissioner, buddy. Well, thank you, John. Uh, it's, uh, I, I truly do appreciate that. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure if this is the place for it, but uh, I, I do appreciate it nonetheless. Um, I can always thank for forgiveness since I wasn't supposed to. Probably I know that's what I, I know you. That's what I was figuring you were doing. Um, but uh, thank you. I do appreciate it. After those comments. Yeah. Um, so Penny Hollow Management Analyst, um, Pat Phillips is having trouble with her audio. Um, so if it's OK, um, I asked her to um, send things to the chat. Um, and she asked, has there been any feedback from the community on the new requirement for passes? So the key fobs for entering facilities. And Derek Rogers, Director of Parks and Recreation. Uh, we've had the story out. We've been working on it, but we haven't, I haven't personally heard any feedback since the story came out um, with that. I, I think it's just going to take us a little time. And um, like any new process, you're always going to find hiccups, but so far, I haven't had any feedback from the community on that yet. Uh, this is John, now Bandian board member. Um, the 16th of July, I have on my calendar is Parks and Recreation Professionals Recognition Day. Um, I don't know, are you guys planning on anything? Any self-congratulatory activities or stuff? Derek Rogers, Director of Parks and Recreation. It's, it's interesting you bring that up. What are you doing tomorrow morning around 10 a.m., 10 to 11 in South Park? We're getting together with our staff to, uh, for about an hour, um, just have some interaction, get them out if they can make it down here, play some games. Uh, oh, neat. Roger will be doing some filming for social media and do a presentation on July 16th. So he's uh, been very proactive and looking forward to it. So that's, so that's uh, Friday the 16th at 10 a.m. at South Park? That's actually tomorrow. Oh, tomorrow. <laughs> and then he's putting together some uh, video and social media to put out on Friday the okay. 16th. I think I've got that right. Penny Hollow Management Analyst, and there was also a proclamation at the last city commission meeting. Derek, did you want to, I think you were more involved in that? Yeah, Roger read the, the Parks and Rec um, proclamation for Parks and Recreation Month. So uh, we mentioned too, I believe our 75th anniversary. There's some things we'd like to do and we just haven't quite got to it yet. Oh, Marilyn Hull, board member, since I can't go tomorrow, I would just like to say thank you to the members of staff that are on this call and hope that you can pass on to everyone else in the department how much the advisory board appreciates their incredible dedication. Um, it's truly inspiring in um, 
in many cases. And I, I personally am very deeply grateful. And I bet that I speak for the other advisory board members in just uh, really giving you a big hearty um, thank you for all you do. Very much for frustration. I'll pass that on uh, group email to our, our staff. Appreciate that. This is John. This is John Nalbandian. And, and Derek, I want to, I mean, in particular, I want to build on that because what you guys, the role you played in the homeless initiative, uh, I never would have expected Parks and Rec to be involved, re-involved in that. Um, how you've how you've helped with the fireworks, um, and I think it's not just uh, being involved, but uh, you built, you all have built uh, sort of a reputation for competence, and 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 that's something really to be appreciated, where we can take quality for for granted. Thank you. Well said, John. Well said. Um, does anybody else have any uh, items of interest or concern for the board? Okay. And also, well said, uh, Marilyn, as well. M Marilyn, did you? No, I don't have any other items. All right. I just saw that you're okay. You're up. All right. Uh, moving us on to staff update. Did we uh, have anything we wanted to add for the staff? First, I would ask, ask the staff, did we have anything you wanted to add for the staff update? Any holler, uh, management analyst, um, you will notice that we are missing a staff member who normally joins us on this call. Uh, Liz Ramirez, who had been our administrative specialist, um, took a promotion to join City Hall and uh, help us all on our payroll. So um, her last day was Friday. We wish her well. We're excited that she will be assisting us all in getting paid. Um, so city staff is very appreciative. Um, and I just wanted to let the board um, know about that. So um, you'll see probably a, a lot more emails from me is what that means in the short term. Bart, John Blazik. John. Can you give us an update? What are you filling Lee's position, or what's that? What are you doing with that on staffing? Derek Rogers, Parks Recreation. Uh, my intent is to, to refill that. I've got some meetings with the city manager and staff to go over a couple of things. On again, some of it goes back to unmistakable identity, which is like uh, John had mentioned. In my opinion, that's where we take Parks Recreation a little further with the homeless. Uh, I like the way one person put it. And they said, well, I never thought Parks and Rec would be doing that. And his response was, I'm a city employee and the city is taking care of this. I, I really like that aspect of it's not just a siloed department. It's we're city employees and we're um, trying to take care of things. So, but yes, John, I would, that, that's on my list. I'm feeling I'm missing that position being filled really bad. You know, it was and I think it's been four or five years I've been with you on this committee. Remember the first year I was on this committee and maybe it was with Mark. I was floored. The rec people did the Christmas lights, just floored. And then floored, they did the uh, cemeteries and now the fireworks. So, and the homeless. So compliments to you, uh, you and your crew. And I just, I'm still amazed with what you do. And I want to say ditto with what John said. 
Uh, All right. Mark Eckworth, assistant director. And a couple of things I might add just out and about. If you're out and about, you might see at Broken Arrow Park will be starting on a new playground install probably tomorrow or the next day. So that's a, one of the bigger playground uh, upgrades we're doing this year. It's relocated, so it's going to be up to the east of the shelter. But you'll see that going up. Out at Bircham, the shelter project we've been working on for almost two years now, thanks to COVID, uh, should be wrapping up in the next week or two. So we got we got the sidewalk in, we'll get picnic tables in, we'll get the drinking fountain installed, we'll be ready to open that up. And the other thing that people are getting a little bit antsy with is Veterans Park. We have a playground project there that's kind of been delayed for multiple, multiple reasons. We had a supply problem with the playground manufacturers. So that one, again, we'll probably start moving here in the next week or two. So I hope to get that wrapped up by the end of summer. All right. Thank you, Mark. Appreciate it. All right. Uh, does anybody else have any comment regarding the staff update? All right. Not seeing any. All right. That's it. Our next agenda item is the calendar. Uh, our next meeting is Monday, August 9th. I would like to thank you all for coming and participating today. Really appreciate it. And thank you again to our Parks and Rec staff. We really appreciate you guys as well. Uh, I would, <laughs> this meeting is adjourned. Oh, wait, 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 not yet. I have to. We could do a vote on that. That'd be excellent. <laughs> yes, I would entertain a motion. This is Val Renault. I move we adjourn. Okay. Is there a second? I see John Nalbandian with the second. Uh, Val Renault with the motion to adjourn. John Nalbandian with the second. Is there any, I'm not, I'm assuming there's no question or comment. Uh, all those in favor, please say aye or raise your hand. Aye. Any opposed? All right. We are adjourned. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Barb. Thank you, everyone.